0: Ladies and gentlemen, this episode needs a disclaimer. If you wish to proceed to the main episode directly, just skip forward to minute 540. And if not, just keep listening. Women don't have discipline. Dear listener, our experiences with having discipline can vary significantly based on gender, especially in how it's taught and perceived during our upbringing. Yes, men and women, boys and girls, being raised differently, that is often the case. But in this instance, the contrast was harsher than I expected. For many men, having discipline is portrayed as an optional tool for achieving success, a choice they can make to elevate themselves. However, the narrative surrounding discipline is often far more delicate for women. In numerous instances, being disciplined isn't merely a matter of choice for women, it becomes a fundamental tool for survival. Women find themselves navigating a complex terrain where discipline is enforced upon them, serving as a mechanism to constrain them, keep them small, and ensure compliance. Or in other words, women have to be disciplined or they will be disciplined by someone else. I must admit that there have been moments of doubt where I questioned if I was the right person to undertake this endeavor. However, the essence of the Worth Having podcast lies in fostering a sense of belonging and prioritizing our mental and emotional well-being. It is my sincere intention to create content that not only educates, but also cultivates understanding and empathy, both for others and ourselves. And yeah, I also had to remind myself of what the mission that I hold so dear is, and that would be to provide insight, to inspire, and come up with actionable tips. And with this thought in mind, I will not go further into the topic of how discipline is being misused as a tool of oppression by patriarchy. But instead, I'm asking what can we, no matter the gender, get out of it if we choose to decide to use it as a tool for success. But on this topic of oppression, I do want to leave you with this last insight that I gained from my many conversations with women of all color and heritage on discipline. When women choose to chase success, their vocabulary changes. Women are not disciplined. Many are actually having a visceral reaction to this term. Instead, they see themselves as ambitious, as persistent, and as determined. And maybe if you are a person, female or other, and you find this peculiar because this word leaves you utterly neutral, well then, maybe we are some of the lucky few that had the good fortune of not having had those hard experiences that make others cringe at the memory of discipline. And This being said, in this episode, I will examine discipline as a tool for good, as I believe it was supposed to be. This means I will discuss discipline on three levels. Firstly, I plainly look at the layman's common understanding. How do we perceive, think, and feel about discipline? Secondly, compared to what psychology and behavioral science present us, and then thirdly, dive into what we can use of all this theory in order to actually coach ourselves out of misery and into a mental and emotional state where we can see hope and get excited about getting things done. So yes, this episode, my dear friend, is a part of Emotions Explored because it deals with dread, but we will not dwell on this emotion. It's a profound exploration into the essence of discipline or for the techies amongst you listeners, let's decode discipline. It's about choosing the next better emotional alternative to dread so that we can progress and achieve. Discipline is about the doing, the action-taking strategy, and that is my kind of jam. And the questions I hope to offer solutions to are, what can be done differently? How can we nudge our brains to focus On the goodness that awaits us rather than the dread that we feel right now. So, my dear friend, my dear wisdom aficionado, this is the perfect moment to grab your favorite beverage, find a cozy spot, set your monocle straight, light your pipe, and let's play Sherlock Holmes together. Let the inspection and the decoding begin. Welcome to a special episode of Emotions Explored. Let's talk about discipline, getting away from dread, and nudging our brain to find easier paths to success. All right. Salut, and welcome to Worth Having, the podcast where we explore belonging and the question, how do I want to come home to myself? I'm Nick, and each episode will explore how to avoid becoming a burnout cliche, and instead take yourself from good to great. Burnout doesn't have to be your reality. By connecting emotional intelligence with positive psychology, we can uncover untapped potential, create better opportunities, and answer the tough question, what's truly worth having in life? Join me, and together we're going to figure out how to take back work-life control. Because as a designer, I craft strategies for regenerative leadership, and I simplified a conversation around self-leadership and self-efficacy. Because to belong means no one has to do this alone, and with that said, You're always welcome here, because you do belong. Thanks for joining me on this adventure. Let's get started. Alors, bienvenue, hello, welcome, dear wisdom-affectionado. I am so happy you found your way here. Now, how is the new year treating you so far? It really isn't that new anymore, is it? And those goals and hopes that you had a few weeks back, how are they coming along? Lately, I am part of, or am witnessing so many interactions that are tinted by a subtle yet really powerful undertone, and that is our collective sense of dread. Oh, I've been hustling for 60 days this year already, but how come it's just January 22nd? (laughs) Um, yeah, these kind of memes, right? Um, these kind of comments. This is what we do when there is more hustling than actual life happening in our daily experience. So for what life is, it is too costly. It takes too much time. And for what we put in, in relation to what we get out, we feel we are barely surviving. Thus, we ask ourselves, why keep pushing forward when it feels like we're barely keeping our heads above water? So in short, we're tired and we want change. But the change will cost more effort. Effort that doesn't feel good because it is about doing things we have not done before. So then we go back to what we were taught about success. Success is the fruit of Discipline. Fantastic idea. Let's apply discipline. But wait, wait. Uh, That too kind of feels yucky. Uh, Catch-22? The thing that is supposed to save us from dread is something that we dread. (laughs) Isn't that ironic? But this is actually where my heart breaks. Hustling is about doing too many things we do not like. We can imagine a life that is different, but we do not see a path to realize this better future, or we do not believe that we personally can walk that path. So we didn't fail to achieve, we failed to start. And come on, that can't be it. This is me, and this is the Worth Having podcast And both of us shall be damned if we can't find a way for us, all together, to start this journey. By now I studied psychology long enough to know that we have a relationship with our future. And the tone of that relationship colors our perception of the present. When our relationship with the future turns sour, the quality of our present life takes A deep, deep nosedive. Because we're lacking vision for why all this effort is worth enduring. And so instead, we become obsessed with the present too much. We feel trapped in a cycle of overwork, overworry, unfulfillment, mental fatigue, and physical weariness. Because where there is no hope, there is no progress. And where there is no progress, there is no change. So what is dread? How about this? Dread, that feeling of wanting to bash your head against the wall or any other violent, self-harming fantasy you can come up with just to not do what you're supposed to do. That would be my personal definition. But yeah, I guess that is a bit blunt, right? (laughs) Typically me. So to be a bit more nuanced and sophisticated about it, I turn to two sources. First up, our all-friend ChatGPT. And that is Chat's take on it. Dread is that gut-wrenching fear, the kind that weighs heavy on our chest. It's the anticipation of something bad looming ahead, filling you with unease and a desperate urge to dodge it at all costs. It is more than just worry. It's a deep-seated discomfort that keeps you up at night, eating up your peace of mind. And then source number two. Next, I consulted my dear, dear friend, Brini Brown, and her insights from her book, Atlas of the Heart. Dread often creeps in when we are facing likely negative events. As the dreaded moment approaches, it only seems to amplify. We rush to get it over with. Even if tackling it sooner means enduring more discomfort. Ha! Does that sound familiar? It's a bit funky, right? So what is dread? Is dread avoidance or is dread running into misery? Is it both? Both definitions shed a light on why discipline and dread often go hand in hand, because they are both about the future, about envisioning what's to come. And whilst our long-term goals might shine bright, the path to get there can feel daunting each day becomes a battle against dread, as we grapple with the short-term discomfort for that elusive prize at the end of the road. So yes, it is a frustrating catch-22. In German, we say Teufelskreis, which means it's the devil's circle where the snake bites its own tail. If you will, with dread, we're stuck in a loop of knowing too much, or at least we think, we are definitely convinced that we've got the playbook and see the future play out exactly and in detail. So we are hallucinating horrible outcomes or horrible moments of misery, which only fuel our dread. And it keeps us from taking the first step. But what if there was another way? So let's unravel the essence of discipline. My dear wisdom aficionados, I really, really like this term lately. It sounds so sophisticated and I don't know, it sounds like coffee tastes really, really good. (laughs) So what exactly does it mean to have discipline? What follows are seven different aspects that I filtered from conversations with people on the topic, and then I pair them with the equivalent from psychology and behavioral science. So check this out. First, society tells us discipline is a gold star activity. It is sold to us as a virtuous tool that earns us applause on the path to success because having discipline is the art of practicing control. So those who master discipline have the capacity to set aside short-term ease and pleasure for the promise of a better tomorrow with results that stand the test of time. And from a behavioral standpoint, what we see disciplined people do is they self-regulate their feelings with their thinking. It's willpower. And oh, we all know how hard that can be. So, yes, glory and gold stars to those that are stronger than their own weaknesses and vices. Number two, society tells us discipline is always a journey. Thus, you need to have persistence and patience and trust and belief. Oh, yeah, and a plan. Don't you forget your well thought through and even better executed plan and here is the psychology science and common wisdom part anchored in the present it's about facing the future head-on and desiring positive change discipline is not just a verb it's a noun having discipline is a discipline in itself in business terms having discipline is vision casting and project management in one You have to A, draft a goal and then B, draft a plan on how to realize it based on the resources that you have or which you have to acquire first. Having discipline is very much a mental left brain hemisphere exercise. It's that well thought out plan. And as every good project manager will tell you, your plan better be objective, explicit, structured, and razor focused. And from a behavioral standpoint, what we see disciplined people do is, they are strategic and analytical. Number three, discipline differs from motivation. Motivation is the other tool we like to use to get shit done. Motivation comes to us before we decide for change. Motivation is this story we tell ourselves about the end result and life after having achieved change. Discipline is the mental plan and physical repetition after we decide for change. Motivation is the imagining and feeling part and then discipline is the thinking and doing part. And yeah, also oh so often we, and by we, I of course speak mainly about me, But I know that this will resonate with a lot of people. So, we, you and me, we often wish discipline was more like his big sister motivation. Meaning pleasant, charming, and easy to engage with. However, discipline is a stickler to the rules, constantly reminding us we have other, less pleasant things to do. But unlike motivation... Discipline is self-reliant and autonomous. So starting might be hard, but once you do it, the longer you stay with discipline, the more sovereign and in charge you will feel. Until finally, it's just a part of you. You're not disciplined anymore. You are an achiever. From psychology, we know that motivation and discipline affect us differently. Motivation is something given to us from the external world. It's a story that is not ours, but we want to make it our own. You can compare motivation to sugar. It gives us an energy surge and gets us excited and giddy, and then (laughs) with time, we use it up. And without sugar, aka motivation, it is hard to keep spirits high. Discipline is something that has to come from within us, It is built over time and it compounds to better, grander self-esteem, the longer we stay with it. From a behavioral standpoint, what we see disciplined people do is they are self-reliant and autonomous. Which brings me to point number four. And that is the point that society misunderstands about self-reliance. And it has come to the wrong conclusion. Because society presents discipline as something you do alone. Nobody can do the work for you. You have to do it by yourself. And that is true. But also oh often, we use those words interchangeably when they are not autonomous, so independent, and alone. Science, research, and psychology show clearly over and over again discipline is a team activity. The better your support network, the faster and better and easier your desired results will come to you. Every discipline, so things like sports or science or innovation, can develop in isolation. Yeah, it's possible. But we will achieve and we will grow exponentially faster if we are supported. And in business terms, this means enabled, encouraged, or funded. And in social terms, this means be listened to, be welcomed, be applauded, and be reassured. And from a behavioral standpoint, what we see disciplined people do is they focus on their own locus of control, but they have a support system and have people they can ask for help and for feedback. Number five. Society promises us, discipline makes you desirable. Wait, what? Yep. Think about it. The way we learn to know and the way that we learn to see discipline is that it is like a self-imposed religion. Master it and you become the god of your own religion. And you shall be worshipped and you shall be admired by Everyone who believes in the same things but hasn't mastered it. And all those who have mastered it will accept you as one of their own and you will be allowed to play with all the other gods on Mount Olymp, your own little exclusive group of disciplined masters. <laughs> it sounds funny, but we do believe that promise. We do believe that discipline will make others admire and desire us because we have admired others for their discipline. Because what you are disciplined in leaves visible markers. And as the saying goes, discipline is priorities made visible a fit body, or a beautifully designed and gorgeously organized home, these are not just results. They are tangible outcomes of effort and commitment. They are visible proof of priorities set in motions. So let that sink in one more time. Discipline is priorities made visible. And those visible results are success markers. Uh, hello Uh, very sexy and if discipline is the art of practicing control then no wonder society is obsessed with it because to be in control also means to be powerful and from a behavioral standpoint what we see disciplined people do is they have a strong ability to focus direct their attention without getting hijacked and they know how to set boundaries Number six, society likes to point their finger at how disciplined people do not make excuses. So why do we point fingers? This is all about those pesky insecurities we all carry. You know, those sneaky thoughts that make us doubt ourselves. Pay attention to how they disguise themselves as general worries about external factors. Okay, that sounds cryptic, but making excuses on how something could not be done because something else had not been done before is pushing one's own responsibility or the lack of thereof onto someone else's lack of responsibility. And that is so easy to spot in others and so hard to point out in ourselves, Oh, I couldn't clean up the table and put the dirty dishes away because my brother didn't empty the clean dishes from the dishwasher before. That is just one example from my household with my kids. In that situation, I will think it's childish, which it is because they're children. But for them, it's a legitimate reason. And as adults, we're not immune to arguing exactly the same way. The tough part is to recognize when we're at it, and that is particularly hard because in our mind, it's legitimately about the external world, something outside our locus of control, and so it's impossible for us to follow through. So psychology explains us that when we are internally unsure about what or how to do things, or if we have insecurities and are doubting whether we are the person to do the job, we then equally assume that our very personal worry is a general flaw in the societal system. It's a protection mechanism of the brain that does not want the body to feel all these exhausting emotions. So coming back to disciplined people, from a behavioral standpoint, what we see disciplined people do is they are not only responsible and reliable to get done what needs to be done, but they are also proactive in picking up tasks that are not immediately theirs to do. So they clear the path from any and all obstacles that could make them stumble before they run the track. Finally, friends, number seven. Society loves disciplined people because they are cool. Actually, they're double cool. Firstly, because all the other six points that I just mentioned. And then secondly, people who embody discipline It's their attitude towards tasks that stands out. They are calm, there is no mind drama, there is no fear, and there are no what-ifs. Those people are simply cool, calm, and collected. And remaining cool in relationship with others means realizing that we can be and we can interact without projecting or taking on other people's attitudes, struggles, or moods as our own. Other people are other people, and nothing that I need to internalize. Science, research, and psychology show clearly, disciplined people are cool with themselves. And this means not judging their struggles as a reflection of their own worth. People who are at peace with themselves achieve flow more easily and more often. They understand they are not defined by their struggles or achievements and who they are extends beyond what they do. Now, you can't tell me that this is not badass. Now, this is already an extensive list, right? And we could stop here. I could call this, here are the seven attributes of highly disciplined people. Bam, Golden Globe for me. (laughs) Whatever the equivalent is for podcasters. But no, all jokes aside, most clickbaity articles stop here. But is this enough to help you become more disciplined? It's not enough for me. I have grander ambitions. The what is worth nothing at all if you do not have the how. It's easy to point out what to do, but then Try to freaking go and do it. That's a whole different playbook. And I am greedy. I want that deeper knowledge. I want better insight. And I want those cooler moves so I can be more smooth. And since you are still listening, I know you do too. So are you ready and disciplined (laughs) to listen to the end? Or will you give up halfway? The choice is yours. But I will continue. So you know that saying, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. Teach a man to fish and he'll never go hungry. Self-management will get you through the task at hand. Each day you give yourself a fish so you get through the day. Self-management is about understanding your behavior when we can't stay in discipline. In design and engineering, this is called the calculated breaking point. Where and when does the system break? And when it does, do we have an emergency protocol to keep on going until it can be fixed? So <laughs> here are some fish of the day questions that help you get through your disciplined day. Ask yourself, how and where can I break my projects or even single tasks within the project into even smaller steps to make them more manageable? How can I cultivate a support system, a network of people that can help me navigate the challenges I keep facing over and over again? How can I practice positive reinforcement and do I have a favorite way of intentionally celebrating small wins? Do I use the stress reduction techniques I already know or do I need to find some new ones because clearly I'm not sticking to the ones that I have right now? Do I have a health professional at hand that I can go to or book an appointment with when things get rough and tough? Self-management is about having an emergency protocol when we do not achieve the things we set out to do. But who, seriously, who likes doing that? Who likes taking out the magnifying glass and have a close look at how you're failing when you're failing, and then go into emergency mode. It is hard, it is exhausting, and it is just about coping. And that is not sustainable in the long run. This is why we feel dread. Many people think that when we are in coping mode, you're already completely stressed out and about to break it down. Coping, however, is nuanced and starts way earlier than you think. Let me put it this way. If you're giving the answer, I'm fine, life is okay. When you are asked, hey, how are you? Then my friend, you're already coping. Because everyone wants more than that. No one is aiming for living a second best life. No one would say, yeah, my life is great, I manage. There is a reason why happy, content and satisfied people say, I'm leading a good life. You have to lead. Et voilà. C'est parfait. Isn't that the perfect segue to start talking about self-leadership? It's about how can you teach yourself to fish? And in a realm of discipline and dread, this means to have a vision beyond the current project or face you're in. And to design for long term, which means exceeding beyond necessity and feel that you are thriving. Do you have that? So let's go back to the list of seven behaviors of successfully disciplined people. And yeah, my friends, if that hasn't been clear till now, self-discipline is a part of self-management. Firstly, disciplined people can self-regulate their feelings with their thinking. Second, disciplined people are strategic and analytical. Thirdly, they are self-reliant and autonomous. Fourth, they focus on their own locus of control, can ask for help and don't make excuses. Fifth, they have a strong ability to focus, direct their attention without getting hijacked and they know to set boundaries. Six, they are not only responsible and reliable, but also proactive. Seven, disciplined people are cool with themselves. They understand who they are extends beyond what they do. Okay, doesn't that remind you of something? (laughs) Well, I'm a mom and it feels like these are the lessons and wisdoms I try to instill in my kids. So how do we teach self-discipline to kids? Or how does psychology suggest that we should do it? Maturity is giving up what is easy for what is good. And at its core, practicing self-leadership is like stepping into a second adulthood. The first one was about prioritizing your long-term well-being over short-term comfort. The second one is about stepping from what made you successful to doing what is actually right and healthy for yourself. It's about making the tough choices that serve our best interests, even when they are not the easiest. But instead of pouting and grumbling, that sucks, like a kid, we raise ourselves up to the next level. As kids become adults, They stop fighting others, they stop fighting their parents, and they start fighting their own inner demons. Except that now with self-leadership, it is the next step in evolution. We try to transcend fighting inner demons because we realize they are of our own creation and we can just drop them. So we stop fighting against, but we start building for the skills we need. We teach our kids to be persistent, patient, and how to practice restraint, because they are the building blocks of our emotional resilience. And now, once more, we've got to find ways to make these values emotionally appealing again. So where is the real power in all of this? It's in recognizing that we have control over our thoughts and actions. As we lead ourselves into living a better life, by using self-discipline, we have to remind ourselves of the rewards once more. When we practice self-discipline, we feel an unstoppable sense of determination, like we can conquer anything that comes our way. Our self-control becomes rock solid. We become immune to triggers that once derailed us. Perhaps most importantly, we develop a healthy self-esteem rooted in a deep sense of self-acceptance and belonging. So how do we do that concretely? Well, we steer clear of discouragement by cultivating positive self-belief. Discouragement eats up self-esteem. We also curb impulsiveness by honing our emotional regulation skills. Because impulsiveness eats up patience. And we sidestep temptation by creating a supportive environment that aligns with our goals, because temptation eats up restraint. Self-leadership is not about making you more productive and squeezing more juice out of you. But since self-leadership is a term we often hear at work or in business-related contexts, the way we like to design businesses and the way we expect people to work in these organizations is usually efficiency first. Try to get out as much as possible for as little as possible. Make systems and processes work as smoothly as possible, and business revenues are likely to be calculated and projected to materialize under ideal circumstances, make everything as lean as possible, except for the ROI, except for their return on investment. The truth, however, lies in reality and not some romanticized prognostics. In reality, moi, you and me and all the other people we know do not have ideal circumstances. If we set ourselves up to be and function as a lean entity, then we will be very easy to break as soon as life throws us a curveball. And it will throw these curveballs because it is life and it wants to play with us. So what we need instead is to shift from a focus on efficiency to one of robustness and resilience and long-term Call it waterproof or trigger-proof solutions where we can. Compared to self-management, that is the short-term and immediate emergency protocol, there are some ideas about long-term, more durable, well, some self-leadership to-dos. Think about how you can go beyond that one goal and build a life of vision. And that might include seeking out help, professional help, that is not focusing on fixing what is broken, but is focusing on growing what is already going well. Make what is good actually great so that you can feel abundantly enough. Do you know what wholeness is? Especially future self-wholeness. If not, you should really look it up then there is emotional awareness or emotional literacy and using that intelligence. Do you actually know what you are feeling? Can you name it and can you tell what this emotion serves you? If not, practice it. And a good resource for that is my podcast where I have more episodes on Emotions Explored. Go and check them out. Another thing Do you have a sense of agency and autonomy in your life, even though you're maybe not completely free to do what you want to do? Because that is self-leadership, self-imposed projects that you are willing to bind yourself to. And then finally, do you know how to break the habit of being yourself so that you can take that protocol emergency mode out entirely? So what is self-leadership? Self-leadership is about making you more selective, making better choices and getting you focused on what truly matters to you. What is truly worth having in your life? And the goal of self-leadership when it comes to discipline isn't just about coping and pushing through and making that journey one that is full of sacrifice on your way to success. Because that's survival mode and we deserve more than plain survival. It's about shifting our mindsets and emotions so that discipline doesn't feel dreadful but becomes second nature. And here's a nugget for you that I learned to question when talking to people about their experience with being successfully and fairly effortlessly disciplined. It is not even discipline if you like doing it. It's a hobby, something you enjoy spending time on and that happens to give you the results of X, Y and Z. So on an emotional level, the definition of discipline is the ability to tolerate discomfort. And our human conditioning makes us dread discomfort. That's just normal. And because this is true, then we are faced with a choice we can either address the dread head-on through self-management and practicing discipline. This means making the bad less bad. Or we can opt for enhancing our experience through self-leadership, which means making the neutral, that plan on the paper, making that theory a pleasure to practice. Can you wrap your head around that? A pleasure to pick up the responsibility and practice what you need to do over and over again. Wow. And now, my dear friend, this is the point in this episode where things become hands-on and can do. And I really like being able to do especially do better than I knew how to do it before. So what needs to change in our minds about discipline to make it work? I have collected some reframes that might help along the way to stay with discipline, but that are rooted in self-leadership. First, self-leadership is having a conversation with yourself about what and who you want to become. Discipline is then the promise that you give yourself to build that relationship with your future every single day. I mean, at least a little bit every day, right? And if you can tell yourself, this is how I show up for myself, this is how I become, this is what will make me feel satisfied and will make me feel proud of myself, And if you can tell yourself, I'm changing through routine, and this is not destabilizing, but supporting me, feel into yourself if that makes discipline more attractive and more, yeah, something you want to cozy up with. Second, here's a truth from behavioral science. Being committed 100% is easier than being committed just 98% of the time because as soon as we tell ourselves that we can have let's say cheat days or not do certain things our mind goes into planning on when and how and why how will I practice that cheat day so I want you to think well what you're willing to give your discipline up for You will have these days when you will not practice discipline, they will come up, but don't plan for them. Ask yourself, am I giving myself a break or am I breaking a promise? Or point three, check this out. If staying repeatedly on the task is something that you struggle with, remind yourself that consistency is not perfection. And reliability is also not perfection. Under perfect conditions, we can have perfect performances. But as we said before, life is messy. And reliability and consistency are when I show up nonetheless. Not having the perfect conditions will happen a lot more often than, yeah, what we plan for in businesses and systems and mechanics And I want you to cultivate the thought that not having the perfect conditions will not throw you overboard. Because the second best action, the second best option is how you are not giving up on yourself. Because how you show up for yourself under unideal circumstances is choosing the second best action. The second best option is your first choice. This ticks that really, really important box that is called, I still give a shit, especially when life is hard. And then finally, four, it is okay to feel lost. When we are in the process of change, you have to remind yourself that you are not anymore your old You And at the same time, you're not yet your new self. On the way, you are undefined and that is okay. It is not a problem to not feel like yourself. Don't make it a problem. You can hold doubt and belief at the same time. This doubt is not a problem because you can trust yourself. You made that plan, you made that decision, and you can trust that even though you feel insecurity right now, this is part of the process, and at some point, it will become a new habit. Right now, you are breaking the habit of being your old you. So this is how you stay cool with yourself. This is how you nourish that motivation that this is worth it. By reminding yourself that it is okay to feel lost and it is okay to feel doubt and have belief at the same time. This is how you practice the ability to think well of yourself. And last but not least, let me say it again. There is so much we can do for ourselves, by ourselves, but you don't have to do it alone. Have a look around and dare to lead by daring to ask for support. And hey, this episode is one way of getting support for yourself, so well done you. I hope you found this helpful. I hope you could make mm, a can-do attitude more accessible for yourself. It sure was a lot. And so I hope you take your time and let this sink in. And I hope you make the choice to only take with you from here what serves you. And if it served you, please share it with your people. And if you are a leader and you think your team should know about this, why not work together? Let me come in and... Design a workshop around this topic, around hope and self confidence and being in self leadership and using discipline in a reframed, reminded way so that people can take empowered action through empowered thought choices and through feeling that they were given something that truly helps them show up better and live life better, not just at work, but also off work. A bientôt, et au revoir. Until next time, this is Nick. Wait, 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 before you leave. Are you looking for a fresh approach to well-being and resilience? Then let's partner up. I'm here to help individuals and companies rethink and finally implement well being practices that equip people with the tools they need to facilitate their own joie de vivre and prevent burnout. The goal is to enhance individual potential and life satisfaction so that we can come together as better teams, families, or communities and create powerful, positive impact. Reach out now and let's discuss our collaboration because belonging is always worth having.